Hey, it's producer Michael Miracle here with a quick word of thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. It's folks like you who make this workplace movement work. That's why we strive to highlight great authors and experts who bring phenomenal insight on how to bring Jesus into your workplace. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers, and together we'll make the I Work For Him mission a success. Thanks again for listening. Let's start the podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio and on Tuesdays. We call it Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg as we tackle your marriage and your relationship issues because... Uh-oh, he's pointing at me. <laughs> if your marriage and your relationships are a mess, Thanks, when man. you go to work, you take that mess with I you. Do. As Christ followers, our witness, no matter where we go, is exemplified, is exaggerated by the issues going on in our lives. And if mm. our lives are a mess at home we kind of mess up our ability to share Christ at work. That's why God gives us the proactive power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to actually work on the mess that we call us. Okay, so here's the question, Martha. Are, are we working on our marriage? Every day. Every day. You should see the look on her face when she said that every day. Well, I was bracing myself because I was wondering, what mess or question are you going to ask me? Oh, well, okay. So marriage. Is it a good idea or is it a God idea? If it's a good idea, then there really is no compulsion to marry. If it's a God idea, then we need to find out his plan around marriage. We're talking today with Mike and Harriet McManus from marriagesavers.org. That's marriagesavers.org. We're talking to them about their ministry and about chastity and its impact on marriage and the power of marriage mentoring, something you know Martha and I are ecstatically excited about. We're also going to talk about urging our churches to adopt a community marriage policy. Mike and Harriet McManus, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. Great to be with you. Yes, thank you for inviting us. Oh, we're excited. You know, as I've read your articles in the AFA magazine over the years, I just I, I see that Martha and I are very much aligned with how you guys feel about marriage. And I was excited, and that's why I reached out. I said, okay, well, here's two like-minded people, but they're really important people because they get to write in the AFA magazine. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll still say yes and come on and join us. So we're grateful that you guys take the time out, out of your busy schedule well, to, you. to be with us today. All right, so let's just start off. I always love our listeners to get a little bit of a feel for where our uh, guests you know, are in relationship with Christ and how they actually started their relationship with Christ. So, Mike, how did you become a Christ follower? Well, I grew up uh, as an active Catholic and went to Mass every Sunday, even when I was in college. <laughs> but uh, I converted to the Anglican Church uh, when I was a time correspondent in Argentina. And uh, the Masses there were boring, I thought, and the Anglican Church was fascinating. So uh, that converted me partly, and then we moved in 1971 to Connecticut, where we started attending a church, St. Paul's Episcopal Church, with Terry Fulham as the, as the rector, and he was just an extremely articulate, passionate advocate of, uh, of Christ's vision, and that's what really thoroughly converted us. Me. And, and so, Harriet, what about you? You're, well, you're watching Mike go through this. You guys have been married how long, Harriet? Uh, 52 years. Oh, that is oh, awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. 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 That is super awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so 1970s, you guys were still newlyweds when Mike got that experience. What about you, Harriet? How did you yes. come to be a Christ Well, I would follower? say I had gone to the Episcopal Church rather reluctantly 
but you know gone and found it uh sort of boring and a, a chore and but duty filled and uh mike is right when we sort of stumbled upon and of course god does not make any accidents it was very purposeful but we happened to stumble upon this church in Darien, Connecticut, of one town over from ours. And uh, he just fed a hunger in me for wanting to hear the word, uh, that I was aware that something was missing. I didn't quite know it was what it was. But in fact, it turned out to be the shape of Christ, a void in my heart that needed to be filled by the word. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going over there to church and Bible studies and women's Bible studies and sitting through one um, uh, sermon morning service and then sitting through the next one and the next one. And Mike finally said, well, you should just take your sleeping bag over there. (laughs) But at any rate, it really fed a need in me, and uh, I really saw the power of the Holy Spirit. And it really, up until then, I had been really living, I thought, quite successfully on being a highly moral, extremely ethical uh, person, but uh, that clearly was not enough. And so this fulfilled that spiritual need in me, and that was the beginning of our a marriage that had this third dimension. It sort of was, to me, like instead of watching television in those days of black and white, suddenly I was watching television in full color. That was the difference. Mm, that is such a great thing for our listeners to hear and be encouraged mm. with. So so 52 years of marriage, can you tell us what you think the secret of successful your successful marriage has been for you guys? Well, I think for me, and Mike will have to speak for himself, and this may be this is a good lesson for all of us, whether we're male or female, husband or wife, but it certainly boded well for me that one of the reasons I married Mike, or probably the reason I married him, and I was asked by a few other wonderful men, but this was not someone I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And that was Mike had wonderful listening skills. He really listened. And uh, so he wasn't uh, listening and then forming his rebuttal or listening and then telling me what to do. He simply listened and heard me out and uh, tried to ask me to explain more of what I meant by such and such. But it was in one word to encapsulate uh, the success of the marriage from my standpoint was listening. And Harriet, from my point of view, was uh, such a loving person and so pure uh, that she inspired me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, sh- she's still tough with me. She, When I slip up, she tells me right quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, ha- we have built a relationship that has gone the distance uh, with the Lord's help. Hmm, that's amazing. So, Mike and Harriet, you, you guys have been married 52 years. When, At what point in time did the Lord move you guys into marriage ministry, where you realized that God had gifted you of helping lift up other couples? Well, well Mike, my- I'll just put a little preface for Mike. He, uh, at that point, he had been a former time correspondent and then launched off on his own to be a, a, uh, a columnist. And I found that he was increasingly doing a lot of columns. He never writes a column without that has a problem that he can't suggest an answer or two to. And uh, he was doing more and more columns on marriage and traveling the country and talking to pastors or lay leaders about what worked in their communities or their churches. And I said, Mike, you're doing so much work on marriage. Maybe 
you should look into this a bit more. And he said, well, you're right. And so we, with that, we launched off on a um, premarital program in our home church that became so popular. We were inviting a lot of church uh, young couples from different nationalities and races, uh, even some uh, Buddhists and Catholics and Jews who are so hungry to learn how to do marriages right that they were coming to our church, and we opened the gates wide as Jesus would, I know, to welcome everybody. Also, uh, in my work as a columnist, I looked for uh, examples of success. For example, a church that found a way to do really great marriage preparation or a church that helped step-families be successful. Step-families normally divorce at a 70% rate, but a United Methodist Church near Atlanta created something called the Step-Family Support Group, where couples with stepchildren would go and learn from each other how to make these marriages work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in those marriages, a child is likely to say, I, I don't want a new mom, and can make her so unhappy that she that the, the mother is driven out. Uh, but we showed how, by creating a step-family support group, you could save 80% of those marriages instead of losing 70%. Uh, another example is a church in Jacksonville, a pastor asked this question, what... Uh, are there couples here whose marriages were once on the rocks but are now in a state of healing? If so, I'd like to meet with you after the service. And out of 180 people that day, 10 couples met with him. Wow. And uh, he said, would you be willing to share your story, what you did or what God did to heal your marriage? Seven couples said they would do that, and they were very different. One was a woman who had been in adultery for seven years. Another was a man who was a bisexual. He went to gay bars on Friday night. And, and, and another was a dentist who had so little business he was doing his own lab work at night. His wife said, what kind of marriage is this? I never see you. Mm. But these couples were able to identify steps that each of them took, regardless of the problem, to heal their marriage. And so uh, over the next five years, those seven couples worked with 40 couples in crisis and saved 38 marriages. Today we're talking marriage, premarital, count, premarital mentoring, marriage mentoring, MarriageSavers.org. That's MarriageSavers.org. You know we're always trying to highlight ministries that are making an impact on places that we're passionate about. And Tuesdays is always about marriage and relationships. We've got Mike and Harriet McManus from MarriageSavers.org on the line with us today. Mike, why don't you tell the audience what the goal is, the mission of Marriage Savers? Our goal is to reverse the enormous decline of marriage in America. Uh, There were actually fewer marriages in 2015 than there were in 1970. The population of the country has grown 45% in that time, and yet the number of people getting married is just dropping like a rock. Uh, And so we want to reverse those trends. Uh, We want to cut the divorce rate to raise the marriage rate and to to reduce the cohabitation rate. Mm. Okay, now... We live in a pretty rough environment for any of those things to happen because obviously there's no media support for that uh, right. agenda at all. There's no uh, Hollywood support for that agenda at all. There's not so, much church support either. Oh, what do you mean? Wow, controversial statements right here on I Work For Him. What do you mean <laughs> there's not church support for that, Mike? Well, have you ever heard a whole sermon on chastity? I haven't. Mm-hmm. Never. Uh, have you heard a case... Uh, Heard pastors make a case against cohabitation? I haven't. Uh, does your or even heard a sermon on marriage? Yeah, a whole sermon oh. just on marriage. I mean, yeah, it's just if amazing. you're lucky, maybe Valentine's every weekend, right? Every <laughs> once in a while, every once in a while, but well, not too many. If you're in a good church, you will. Mm. But my point is, 
it, yeah. it's it's a subject that's neglected enormously by the church, which sh- for whom it should be a priority. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that's so. I I just figured that was a problem right here in Florida. So you're saying that's a problem all over the country? <laughs> it is. Let me give you some statistics on this. If a man and woman are chased when they marry, that is, they've had no other sexual partners. Five years later, 97% of them are still married. Let's let's clarify what you just said. You said no other sexual partners. You mean they've had no sexual, they've had no, no, no sex sexu- before marriage. They were virgins when they married. All right. Uh, but if the woman has had just one extra sexual partner before marriage, only 62% of those couples are still together after five years. And if she's had two sexual partners, only 50% are still together. So chastity pays dividends in terms of the, the health of a marriage. And right. that's something I haven't heard anyone say uh, from the church. What about a, a man? Are the statistics different if a man's had it's sex It's a little different. Uh, yes, but the, the, the decline is not as steep as it is for women. Uh, hmm. Each additional partner means that the, that the less likely the, the marriage will last. Um, that's that's really kind of startling. Okay, yeah. so you've gotten opportunities to to write articles from in the American Family Journal Association Journal, which I love that Martha and I read that cover to cover every month. Uh, mm-hmm. We love what American Family Association is doing. In fact, we found out just recently that the Southern Poverty Law Center said that they're a hate group, which means <laughs> they must be doing something. They must be doing something awesome at the Southern Poverty Law right. Center, which is that's the most progressive. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> They're giving their attention, hey, at least. Maybe I work for him, and Marriage Savers will get on that list, too. Well, oh, good. What, what I began to do in 1986, when I was invited by people who read my column to come and speak to their church, uh, I, I recommended in Modesto, California, that the churches as a whole take a new stand and say, we're not going to marry anybody unless they take premarital preparation that's, mm-hmm. that's rigorous. Uh, and um, I said, I think if you did that, and you also had strategies to enrich existing marriages, that you you could cut your divorce rate in half in five years. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that didn't happen. But the divorce rate began going down, and in the first two years, it went down about eight percent, and the pop, but the population went up fourteen percent. So uh, it was on the right path, and. Uh, but the results were relatively modest, I thought. Nevertheless, Christianity Today and uh, Charisma and other newspaper magazines wrote articles about how uh, commu- cities that agreed to a community marriage policy were seeing their divorce rate drop. And uh, that helped spark interest in our work and prompted uh, a publisher to come to me and say, won't you write a book about this? Well, let's let's just step back a second because we haven't talked about this yet. So, what is a community marriage policy? When it, when it, you've asked you've asked churches to take this pledge to create a community marriage policy, what is the policy? What does it talk about? There are five things. First is very rigorous premarital preparation that takes uh, at least uh, six sessions. We train older couples in healthy marriages to be mentors to come alongside the young couple and talk through issues. And the the couple is asked to take a premarital inventory. It's a detailed questionnaire, 150 items on the questionnaire, such as I'm concerned about the way my partner spends money, or uh, sometimes my partner refuses to talk about issues that we're having that we're facing, and um, that gives the 
mentoring couple an opportunity to talk about their own marriage and what makes it work. And we're able to teach those young couples how to do a good job. The, the stick, second strategy is enrichment. Uh, there's a wonderful set of videos called, or DVDs called, 10 Great Dates. The couples come on a Friday night and watch a DVD on something like Resolving Honest Conflict or Becoming an Encourager or Building a Creative Love Life, and then they go out and have a date and talk about that theme on the date. Guys like it because uh, they're having a date with their wife. Women like it because they're putting issues on the table they want talked about. And nobody drops out from this, and the result is that uh, a high percentage of those couples really build more solid marriages. A third strategy is to train couples whose marriages were once in crisis to mentor those in current crisis. I mentioned that a little earlier. Uh, If you've survived adultery, for example, you, you as a couple have survived adultery, you could be assigned a couple who's in crisis over that issue today, and couple A can say to B, this is what we did to restore trust. That's exactly what couple B needs to hear. But what most pastors do with marriages in crisis is they send them to counselors. Well, if you send them to counselors, the counselor makes money every time you walk in the door. If he heals the marriage in three sessions, you're not coming back. But if you go through a divorce... (laughs) Okay, I've said this so many times. Now, there's a lot of fantastic Christian counselors out there. We don't want to offend offend them, but it is true. Because it's true. uh, the, The economics go against it, but the, per, the, past, the couple that's healed adultery uh, has no interest in seeing this couple more times than is necessary to help them. <laughs> They're not getting right. paid. Right. So uh, wait, let, me just, let me just stop for a second, because I know you're very excited about yeah. this, and I love this too, but you're asking churches to make a commitment to go right. all out to support marriage and family. I mean, that's what you're really right. doing. You're saying, we're going to do whatever we can. Harriet, well, when in, you... In, in a nutshell, what it is, Mike is explaining the ingredients and uh, what is supposed to be done to implement the signed community marriage policy. It actually is physically signed by cooperating pastors. But what it is, it's a gathering together of pastors who publicly pledge that they in their community will join together across denominational lines, sometimes faith lines, to make marriage a high-priority in their community. And by doing so, they are setting themselves as examples of they're going to be a beacon of light to other, uh, to that community, <clears throat> to couples, um, to come to them to be able to make marriage, um, you know, restore marriage to the high honor it once was uh, before we've had so many challenges in our current culture. Okay, so Mike, study, you gave uh, us you you gave us the first three steps. I want to let you finish the other steps. So let's review those really quick again. The first three steps in the community marriage policy that churches make a commitment to. One, we just go through the first three, and then we'll finish the other two out. Thorough marriage preparation. Okay, mm-hmm. that takes uh, several months. Uh, enriching is- all existing marriages. Uh, a strategy every year to do something to give every marriage a booster shot. That's marriage mm-hmm. enrichment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Third is to save the crisis marriages by training couples whose own marriages were once in crisis to mentor the current ones. The fourth strategy is if, let's say, the wife wants a divorce but the husband doesn't. It's reconciliation, in a word. And reconciliation mm-hmm. is difficult because uh, the wife is saying, I want a divorce. But the husband can take a course called Marriage 911 with a male friend 
uh, over 12 weeks that's designed to help him grow so much he attracts his wife back. And that works in about half the cases. Mm-hmm. And finally, the step family support group is the answer for step families. So those five interventions are the ones that we have pastors agree to. And we've done this in 230 cities now. Uh, in 44 states and four foreign countries. And an independent study of these merit, community marriage policies found that, on average, the citywide divorce rate drops 17 or 18 percent in seven years, and cohabitation drops by a third, and in some places, marriage rates rise. Wow, that's pretty fantastic. So what are some of those cities so we can highlight where people should be moving? <laughs> well, Austin, Texas, for example, Kansas City, Kansas, uh, Salem, Oregon, um, El Paso. El Paso is the, is the city that's done the best job. They actually cut their divorce rate 79.5%. Oh, my. That's <laughs> And uh, this is a city of 680,000 people, and they had only five murders in a recent year. They have the low, they've had the lowest crime rate of any city in America for four straight years. Why? Because so many kids are being brought up by married parents that they don't get it in trouble. So I... Uh- Mike and Harriet, I was talking to Jim during the break, and one of the things that I really am just curious about, because I'm so excited that you have had um, successfully set this up in 230 cities across the country. That just blows my mind, and you said in other countries as well. But if I live in a city, and I wonder if this is taking place in my city, because I maybe haven't heard about it at my church how would somebody go about finding out if this is active in their community? Uh, I, I'm, my email is mike at marriagesavers.org or harriet at marriagesavers.org. Okay. And we, we'll respond or they can call us. Our number is 301-978-7105. Okay. So really it's just checking with you and seeing if right. that's something in their community. And then the same thing, if they're interested in bringing it into their community, they could reach out to you and right. start what, to get What I would rolling. recommend is that they, their pastor invite perhaps eight or ten pastors of different denominations for a presentation that I can make for my office in Maryland mm-hmm. uh, with this go-to-meeting technology, which puts my PowerPoint onto his television screen. At no cost. At no cost. Nice. And uh, in 45 minutes, I'll outline what these different interventions are that work. And uh, they can interrupt at any time and ask questions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a live presentation. And then if those 10 pastors think it makes sense, then they can get other pastors involved. So let me ask this question then, Mike and Harriet. As you guys have impacted 230 cities, when you go in, do you often get multiple churches that agree to do this or is it you get oh, yes. one and then so you get multiple at one time no no the, the, f- the fewest we've had is about 20 and we've had as many as 300 in a city in, in one city, city one they committed city, right. to this minneapolis st paul was 300 really hey, that's our hometown we're proud of them then wow that's, <laughs> inc- that's, that's incredible that, it, that's a miracle and that jim, is a miracle. jim and i are it is. dumbfounded well, we, we by worked that. for that's... six months there to get we had the catholics and evangelicals and uh, mainline all working together to organize it wow. and um huh. okay it's, it's so not easy to do that was no we Get, did implemented training but it was a signing right mm. but that but what you just said mike is it's not an easy thing to do getting churches to work together it was supposed to be easy that was jesus's intent but okay i won't get on that soapbox for today <laughs> well what we okay. do is we ask them to set aside their other 
theological and doctrinal differences, which are great, and they're never going to be come to absolute 100% agreement on it. You know, how we baptize, do we confirm, do we have a first uh, communion, right. as in the Catholic Church? We just set all those sides but aside, but we say one thing we can import is we can all agree on, that marriage is uh, important and key, and divorce is devastating. Mm-hmm. And they all agree that they can agree on that. That's fabulous. So We've had just... one divorce for every two marriages in this country for 40 years. Uh, that's the 50% divorce rate, and it really can be reduced. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's... let me ask this question. Okay, you guys have been doing this for how many years has marriagesavers.org been around? Uh, about 20. Okay, what's your perpetuation plan? Who takes the reins? How, do, how does this keep going when you guys can't travel across the country anymore? Who, how does it keep going? Because what you're doing is incredible work. Who takes up the mantle of Mike and Harriet McManus from Marriage Savers and says, all right, I'm going to take it, because someday it will be too much for you? Well, we, we have a, a, a couple of people in mind to do that, but I must say we've been weak in, in getting that implemented. <laughs> but we want to talk. We got to talk about that on iWork for him. Yeah. We got to talk about more because that's something that Martha and I are really passionate about. And there's right. there are some incredible ministries across the country, but we've right. never run across one that called churches to task and said, "Hey, people, let's go, yeah. let's yeah. do this. It's great." All right, let's. I promise the audience, Mike and Harriet, that we talk about chastity and yes. mentoring. So let's talk about chastity first. First of all, what is chastity? Chastity is having no sex until uh, you're married. Scripture is pretty clear about this. Uh, You've heard it say that no one should commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? If so, you know, uh, you you, you rob temples. Uh, If uh, another example of it is flee from sexual immorality, Uh, 1 Corinthians there's 38 different verses in Scripture that call for chastity, um, and yet it's almost like a forgotten idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, a recent poll of millennials uh, found that 34% of them had had sex before they, even their first date. Imagine, sex before the first date? Uh, no wonder these millennials are, are, are so messed up, and so few of them are getting married. So, okay, if chastity is having no sex before marriage, it's not just a good idea then, it's a God idea. It's a God idea. idea. Okay, it, so if it's a God idea, why did God, you, you talked about this at the beginning of the show, but we get a lot of people that have joined us after the bottom of the half hour. Why is this a God idea? Well, uh, there, because it, it, it runs throughout Scripture. You can look at Leviticus. You should not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled by her. Uh, you can look at Second Timothy now, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. The, the scriptures are very clear on this, but what has been not clear is why this makes sense to this generation. And I, I think part of the problem is that pastors have not thought about this analytically. They have not looked at the data that shows that those who marry, uh, who are ch- have been chased before up to the time of their wedding, uh, can have a much greater chance of a lasting marriage. Now, Harriet and I have personally mentored 61 couples, 51 of whom were sexually active. 
And we asked them to consider signing what we call an optional premarital sexual covenant in which they would pledge to remain chaste from now to the wedding. And out of 51 couples, how many do you think signed it? I bet you got some feedback from some of them, but I bet the majority of them did. Yes, 43 out of 51. Wow. Um, And so, you know, if you don't ask for this, you're not going to get it. So you attribute that to the fact that they they maybe never even thought that it was important, and you kind of taught them well, that I this mean, is the something culture, they could do. You know, with all the pornography we've got that kids begin seeing at age ten, it just seems like sex is the natural thing. I mean, half the kids uh, who are in high school have already had sex. We just have to turn this around, and it it can be turned around, but the church has to be aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, that's a, that's an interesting point. The church has to be aggressive. You mentioned this is the one area that uh, you know it's not our teachers or the federal government uh, or our nurses or doctors that are supposed to be talking about this. It's really our pastors are actually expected to be talking about moral and ethical and godly issues, and they don't. They, don't. they turn a blind eye to it because they think, oh well, well. We just want them to be Christians. Well, being Christian is not enough. That's a good step. That's something. But they need more than that. uh, Of the couples getting married today, 60% are already living together. Now, uh, I'm in a church which says to couples who are living together and have come to be be married at our church, our, our pastor just says you have to move apart for some months before we will do this. And uh, most churches will not do that. Mm-hmm. 60% of all marriages now involve cohabiting couples, and 85% of those marriages are blessed by the church. So the church is just closing its eye to the issue. Well, okay, it's part gonna, of the problem. We're going to run out of time in a segment. I want to make sure we hit why, why, why. Why is it bad for couples to live together? Quickly. Because the, you can't practice permanence. Marriage is, is, a, is a state in which you're permanently committed to your spouse for life. And premarital sex is just the opposite message. And living together is conditional. If you're not making me happy today, then I'm moving out and taking the cat on the couch with me. And marriage is not conditional. You've made a pledge. You've made a promise uh, to your spouse, and you stick with it through the ups and downs and the bad and the goods. All right, now we've got a lot of people listening who've already made that choice to have sex before marriage, yet they, they're hearing what you're saying. They're, you're hear, they're hearing that eliminating sex before marriage really makes a big impact on their possibility of a lifelong marriage. Right. Can somebody adopt a mentality of chastity now, even though they're, they've, they've lost their virginity? Yes. Uh, as I said, of the 51 couples we mentored who were sexually active, 43 were willing to sign an optional premarital sexual covenant. If you don't ask, you're not going to get it, but you have to ask. And that's the job of of mentoring couples. We're talking about the truth that, number one, chastity makes a monstrous difference in the health of your future marriage. Mike and Harriet, when you look at chastity and the impact, if two people have have been chased, they've they've saved their virginity until the night of their wedding, what what are the statistics? How how many of those marriages make it all the way? Ninety seven percent of them are still married. Ninety seven percent. That's an incredible number. Okay, yeah. and we know that and the numbers go down from there when they make it. And if the woman has had one just one extra affair with someone else, it drops to sixty seven percent. And if a man has had one extra affair, what's it drop to? Uh, it drops. 
down to about 75. Okay. Now, so we understand that sex before marriage really makes an impact on a couple's healthy marriage. But right. here's the deal. We understand that Christ came to restore all things. He came to, uh, re- he redeemed all things. He came to restore all things. And so all marriages, as we've seen in our marriage mentoring life, all marriages are savable. If you get a husband and wife, they're willing to work on it. Right. But then it really takes mentoring. You have really taken this to a whole new level. Why do you say premarital mentoring is so important? Well, as we say, before you tie the knot, let us show you the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mentors are not counselors, we're not therapists, we're not mental health providers, we're not pastors, but we are couples who are currently in a healthy marriage. And by uh, cup, uh, mentoring couples who are trained to uh, learn how to administer what we call a premarital inventory, which is an assessment of over 150 questions that the either the seriously dating or the engaged couples take. And when those results come back regarding relationship issues that cross the whole spectrum of relationships, of finances, in-laws, uh, parenting, sex. Uh, sexuality, faith and values, and so forth, that they sit down uh, for about five or six sessions with their assigned mentor couple, and they... The mentor couple uh, doesn't tell them what to think, but they have them dialogue back and forth to talk about how they responded and why they responded to certain issues that came up in the in the assessment. So the um, the um, mentor couple really are facilitators. <clears throat> in addition to that, the mentor couple also teaches communication and conflict resolution skills, and this helps the couple learn how to communicate in a way that's mature and rational, because many of them have come from divorced or not well-functioning uh, marriages of their parents, and they've sort of inherited those skills, but they can be bad skills, but they can be turned around. And the advantage of it is that you have two different genders, a husband and a wife, mentor couple. They have different perspectives because they're different genders. They provide a future support system, so if the couple falls short or as you know forgets how to do practice their skill of listening and assertive speaking, they also lend encouragement and they're also free. As we say, we're good. We're good for nothing. <laughs> so well, and now is this is this mentoring that you guys and again you're encouraging this to churches that make this community uh, covenant uh, community right. marriage policy. What, is this um, material that you guys provide to churches for yes, marriage centers? Yes, we actually train uh, couples uh, well, in each of these cities, and, and the training runs from 6.30 to 10 on Friday night and from 8.30 to 5 on Saturday. We uh, actually use a um, premarital inventory. It's actually a marriage inventory. It's called Prepare Enrich, and it originated uh, from Dr. David Olson, who is a professor emeritus from the university of um, Minnesota. Minnesota, and he is a uh, Ph.D. psychologist and designed this assessment. And this is what we, so this is a proven and effective tool, mm-hmm. and this is what we train our um, lay couples, our mentor couples, 
to use. But only as, only about 100,000 or 150,000 of the 2 million couples who get married every year are taking the, an inventory like this. So the rest are missing out. What the advantage of it is, is it gives couples a way and a path to talk about issues that in the glow of romance, when the wine is flowing and the violins are playing and the flowers are being presented and the bonbons are coming over to the house, it gives them a harsh uh, dose of reality where they can talk about uh, money and they can talk about those testy in-laws. Let me talk about the results in our own home church. We prepared, and the mentors we trained, prepared 288 couples for marriage in the 1990s. 58 of those couples, that's 20%, decided not to marry. Good, better the broken engagement than a broken marriage. Mm. But of the 230 couples who did marry, we only know of about 18 divorces now. So it's, it's better than a 90% success rate over two decades. That's fabulous. That, that, and that's what we're talking about. That's what, and, and Martha and I have talked about marriage mentoring on this show multiple times, but I love that you're putting more meat to it and that you're getting churches. You guys are getting churches to understand this. When I got to believe it's made a positive impact on the churches as well. Churches sure. that are doing premarital mentoring and really investing in the couples that enrichment cycle of already existing well, what married the, couples. What the couples unfortunately have not gotten, I mean, God is good and wonderful, and uh, having a uh, you know, caring couple walk alongside you and share their marriage, that's good because they have a lot of wisdom to impart. But what these couples need are tools. And it's just like you can't drive a car without learning, you know, looking at your driver's manual before you start learning to drive that car. And this is a way that uh, young couples uh, can go about learning how to uh, really undergird themselves with those tools. Because, yes, at some point they are going to fall into disarray. Well, let me ask well, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, Mike, hang on. Because this, you guys are so excited about this, I want to make sure I, I, the people hear the impact. Because I imagine these churches who have taken on the mantle of we are going to fight for marriage proactively, we're going to fight the battle. Talk to me about the health of those churches. Hmm. It's got to have impacted these churches. Well, one thing that's impacted them is that when these couples come, and at our uh, home church in those days, half of them were coming from outside of our home church. Many of them uh, didn't go to church, weren't planning on going to church, but they became so enamored with their um, mentor couple that they were assigned, who of course was a member of the church, that they ended up staying and becoming a member of the church themselves. Now, we're not into sheep stealing. We encourage many of them to go back to their home church. Many of them did, and they said, we should get a program like this going in our home church. We shouldn't have to cross over and go to the Presbyterian church when, you know, something should be happening in our home Methodist church. So it was a way of, uh, it sort of was, Mike calls it, subtle or soft, gentle evangelism. Mm-hmm. Mike, you, you've got, you guys are having a lot of fun doing what you're doing, and it's making a huge impact. <laughs> and I love the fact that you're not afraid, because you, you wrote a letter to the Michigan State House, and we only have a minute to talk about this, about the unconstitutionality of no-fault divorce. And That's I right. love that. Most of the people listening, if they're 35 and under, they don't even understand what no-fault divorce was. They've lived with divorce as part of society. What did that letter say really quickly, and, and what's the response been? Well, I, I quote uh, the, fifth, the Fifth Amendment and the, uh, to the Constitution, which says that 
People should not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without a due process of law. Now, no-fault divorce says if partner A wants a divorce, they'll always get it. Partner B can do nothing to stop the divorce. So how does partner B have due process of law? He always loses. Uh, what I argued with the Michigan legislature was that they should require at least a year delay before the divorce can take effect. Uh, I said right next door in Illinois, they have a, require a year's delay, and their divorce rate is 44%. Yours is 60%. If you want to reduce the number of divorces, you've got to give people time to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And if the couple has children, or if it's contested by one or the other partner, then it, then it should be a two-year delay. Britain's divorce rate is one-fifth of ours, or one-third of ours. They have an 8% divorce rate after five years of marriage. Ours is 23%. Why? Because if a British wife wants a divorce and the husband doesn't, they have to wait five years to get the divorce. Wow. All right, so what six was, year, the, what was the response? Of, we're running out of time. What was the response from Michigan? What did they say? Nothing. They did nothing. Uh, and the guy that invited me has been unelected. Unbelievable. Oh. Mike and Harriet McManus, thanks for being on iWork for him today. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what Marriage Savers does, but thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, we're our pleasure, and thank you for asking. Mm, thank, thank you. you. Make sure you check out Mike and Harriet and their amazing marriage mar- amazing marriage ministry, marriagesavers.org, marriagesavers.org. You've been listening to I Work For Him together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg as we tackle your marriage and relationship issues. Just remember, though, ultimately, I I work work for him. him.